Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Appreciate Mac Brown for dropping by on National Signing Day Part 2. We'll get into more college hoops with Lavelle Moten of NC Central in about 30 minutes. He was just profiled at ESPN.com and at TheUndefeated.com. He has his Eagles in the running for another MEAC championship and NCAA tournament trip. Joining us now, another guy who starred at the college level, in his case before turning into a college basketball analyst for ESPN and the ACC Network. We have Duke Carolina on Saturday in Chapel Hill. We have State at Miami tonight. Duke went to BC and won last night, but made Coach K very unhappy in the process. Dallin Cuff was a star at Columbia, and he joins us now. Dallin, I, I have to ask this before we pick your basketball brain. I've traveled our country, and I can only think of three universities that wear various shades of light blue on their athletic teams. So you've got Carolina, of course, and you'll be all over Duke Carolina on Saturday. You've got your alma mater, Columbia, and I have seen Johns Hopkins lacrosse, so I'll just throw that in there. Would you, as a Columbia hoop star, if we put Pantone light blue 290 next to Pantone light blue 542, which is Carolina's apparently, would you, would you, superstar X player, be able to tell the difference? I love that we're starting this thing with Pantone discussion. <laughs> I've never done that before. Um, I would like to think that I could, but uh, it's easy to say in the abstract. We might have to do this at the ACC tournament. Right. Put my, put my money where my mouth is a little bit. I'll be down. I have a feeling that he could separate Royal Blue from Carolina Blue. Those will be two that he is analyzing on Saturday. There is basketball to be played between now and then. And just for a shout-out for ACC Network viewers and ESPN as well, you can actually go to Top of the Hill in Chapel Hill. Shout out to my old law school friend, Scott Maitland, who runs that place. Uh, they are having, starting at noon, live music, food, games, swag, and more. Doors open at noon. The game between the Devils and the Heels, of course, is at 6 o'clock. So maybe you can party at Top of the Hill and then get over to the Smith Center for the resumption of one of this uh, America's greatest sports rivalries. All right, before we dive into Devils Heels, was there any alarm bell for you when it came to Mike Krzyzewski's team when he was mad at how they played at Boston College last night, said they didn't listen to him, and it's stupid not to listen, uh, when he had somewhat similar complaints when they lost, say, you know, at Clemson or against Stephen F. Austin earlier this year? Uh, no, I'm not, not concerned because I, I honestly was kind of expected. I did some radio hits yesterday, and I know the number of – the boys in Vegas, one of the hits I did was the number was 14 and a half. I said I would definitely take the Eagles in 14 and a half because you're dealing with a young team going on the road in a game they expect to win. They think they're just going to roll in and win. And that environment's hard to play in because of the opposite of Cameron. It's quiet there at times. They're, they're lacks a little energy. You've got to bring your own energy. You've got to bring it yourself to get ready to go. And if you don't do that, you end up down 12-2. And that's exactly what happened. And they were, you know, fits and starts throughout the course of the game. They did defend well which is really what this team has to do to be a national championship team. To realize their potential, they have to first and foremost bring on the defensive end, be connected five guys, talk, disrupt, create some offense off their defense. And they did enough of that in the game where they shot really poorly. And down the stretch, too, they went through their, through their two you know, key cogs. They got it inside the carry. Trey Jones, I think, had 14 of his 18 in the second half. Um, and he took over the game when, when needed. So it doesn't worry me because they're still one of the 10 youngest teams in the country. That performance was almost what I would have expected them to do. And now the, the difference is when you turn the page to Carolina and you go on the road to Carolina, 
that's a whole different element, which I think they'll be ready when that ball goes up in the air for that come Saturday at 6 o'clock. Dallin Cuff is joining us. Follow him on Twitter at that name, at Dallin Cuff, former Columbia Hoops star, now with the ACC Network and ESPN. When you think of that game or rivalries more generally, and off the top of my head, I know like Penn and Princeton don't like each other, Harvard and Yale. I'm not sure of Columbia's number one rival. But are you a believer as a we, – we, we were going to try to win some games, man. It didn't matter who it didn't matter. We were going to win some games. I, well, I, mean, I, I personally did not like Princeton. Princeton, okay. won. Princeton and Penn had to, had, uh, had to dominate that league for 50 years prior. Um, that's different now. But back then, those were the two biggest games of the year. And Princeton, I just – generally had a dislike for. So there you go. That makes sense. Are you a believer as a former player in the concept of throw the records out in the most intense rivalry games? Uh, because, of course, Carolina fans would love to believe that applies given that they're at the bottom of the standings and the Blue Devils are near the top. Yeah, I, I really do believe that. I think Duke's the better team. I'm, I'm, I'm picking somebody to win. I'm going to pick Duke even though it's on the road. But I do think it doesn't matter what had been what had transpired till the point of this game. Uh, you have to be prepared for this game. There's going to be emotions are hot. People that have played in it before try to communicate to the freshmen what it's really about. You can't do it till you actually live in it one time. And I don't, I don't think it, it really makes a difference that one team is going to the NCAA tournament to win it all and one team is not going to be in the NCAA tournament. This, in some regards, is the Tar Heels tournament. This is their Super Bowl. This is it. Like, let's, let's go. we got two chances to play our rival. We know two chances. Maybe one again in Greensboro in March. But you know this one. This is the one on your home floor. You want to defend that. Um, and I think history has told us with these two that it doesn't matter. I mean, that, that famous Jeff Capel game, Duke was horrible that year. And yeah. UNC had Sheed and, and, and Carter, and they were just they were, they were ridiculous. And that, that game produced one of the couple of the greatest memories, in, not just in this rivalry, but in college basketball history. So uh, I think you, you, were, you, you, could, you could have the same type of thing happen here um, come Saturday. I, I do think that it's going to be, and it's, it's always an intense game, a fun game, that the record really doesn't matter because – you only have a couple of times to participate in this really unique rivalry, which I think is the best rivalry in sports. And I know ESPN's doing their promo right now. This game always delivers because it's true. Yeah. I mean, I, they keep rolling out this stat. The last 100 meetings since 1979, it's 50 to 50. It's a dead even heat, and they've scored the exact same number of points. <laughs> that's absurd. It is that's crazy. Over, that's over 40 years. That's insane. So this, is, this game does always deliver. Do you have a favorite moment or game or anything related to your time covering this rivalry? Because I go back to 1987, and I keep getting asked that question when I'm a guest on other people's shows. So I figured I would just flip it around on you. Is there anything that's either memorable because of the intensity or, or just like the symbolism of the moment as you think of what you just described as the greatest rivalry in American sports? It is visceral, and it's awful, but the first thing that pops in my head is Hansborough standing up and his face yep. covered in blood. Yeah. And that, that image, and then the Henderson, the elbow, the contact like that, that when I first think of it, boom, that just comes right in my head. And that is a visceral, brutal reaction, but it encompasses everything about it because it wasn't just a hit he took. He shoots up, literally blood scoring yeah. out of his face, ready to go, like ready to mix it up. Like there was, it, there was no hesitation. There was no lay on the ground. He flew up and ready to, ready to go, ready to fight. And that, that, I think, symbolizes what this thing's all about. You want to take a shot at me? I'm coming right back at you. Let's take a step back at the broader perspective. We all know that there's two different themes going on. One is the big three in the ACC. The other is who else will join them in the NCAA tournament. First to the big three, 
you know what Florida State fans say. Hey, we beat Louisville at Louisville, and Louisville beat Duke at Duke. So the pecking order in the power rankings should be Seminoles 1 and Louisville 2 and Blue Devils 3. And there is a logic to that, obviously. But if I asked it to you a different way, who has the best shot at winning the NCAA title? Who has the highest ceiling among those three teams that all expect to get very high seeds in the NCAA tournament? Which one of those three would it be and why? Uh, I think Duke still has the highest ceiling because Duke has the most just raw talent, and they've got a ton of depth, more so in recent years. They've got about nine guys that can hurt you. They finally have everybody healthy. Wendell Moore coming back in recent games, but if he missed games, Joy Baker missed games, Cassius Stanley missed one. I mean, they, they, this is still one of the 10 youngest teams in the country, as I said already, and you're trying to get everybody healthy on the same page and move forward. So now they have that. I think they have the most talent in the country. I think they have the highest ceiling. The question is, can they realize that feeling? Because right now, Florida State is right there with them. And Florida State still has growth to do, too. They've got, a, they've got some young guys and some new roles. And we've seen Devin Vassell really start to develop. Um, MJ Walker dealing with a little bit of an ankle injury. Trent Forrest has emerged. Patrick Williams, he's a lottery pick that nobody talks about because of how they play. He doesn't play more than 20 minutes a game. But Williams will defend. He's physical. He's smart. He's got great vision. I think his impact could grow for the Knowles in the coming weeks here, too, as we move into March and more eyeballs become onto our sport, uh, I think those two teams have the, have the best potential long-term. I, I love where Louis, I like Louisville's team. I think it's been critical that David Johnson and Samuel Williamson in particular played really well, especially Johnson in recent weeks because those guys, those two freshmen, give them a different dimension. Johnson it really can take that point guard spot, which is their biggest weakness, to another level. Um, but I, I, if I'm looking at those teams come mid-March, the team that I think, think that I, can, I think you can have Duke, Florida State, Louisville, but, in all honesty, that's, that's realizing potential. It may not act, actually end up that way. I think they're all very close right now um, in terms of where they're matched up. And I know we, we're all focused on Duke Carolina because, as we said already, yeah. it always delivers. But come Monday, it's Duke-Florida State. It's right. the game that actually matters in terms of the ACC standings and somebody winning a championship. That, that, that is a huge game that I'm really excited about. Yeah, that'll be must-see TV for totally different reasons. All right, you'd probably know this tidbit off the top of your head. It was 20 years ago the last time the ACC – the super heavyweight of all conferences in basketball had only three entries to the NCAA tournament. And at the time, of course, they only had nine schools in the league. So three yeah. out of nine is bad. <laughs> three out of 15 is like a train wreck. When you think about UVA near the bubble or Syracuse looking better lately or NC State and Virginia Tech have been in this picture, but they've been fading lately or anyone else on your mind. You know, Carolina fans have their own wild dreams. Who seems, which one or two do you see as the most likely to be on the right side of that fence on Selection Sunday? Unfortunately, I've said for weeks now, I think, we're, I think they're getting four teams in. So it's going to be one other club. Uh, at the time, I thought Virginia Tech and NC State had the best chance to do it. As you mentioned, they have really struggled. I think Tech is a young team that's hit a wall. that They rely on the three-point line so yep. much. And teams have scouted them. They've struggled with it. And that's their lack of offense is affecting their defense now, which you can't have happen. But happens to everybody, especially when you're a younger team. So I don't think Tech's going to make the cut. I don't think NC State's going to make the cut. I, I, I think they've got a ton of talent, but obviously with their injury issues, and C.J. Bryce's form in recent games has been uh, questionable, to say the least. I, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not confident that Kevin Keats' crew is able, going to be able to get it done. I think Virginia still has the best chance. Yeah. When you look at their overall resume, they, they, have, they, they still lack quality wins. They've got, I think, two quad one wins, but they have beat some other teams that may make their way into the field, such as Arizona State. Um, and they have some chances to win some other games down the road here. The, the problem with the ACC overall, though, as you mentioned, there in years past, 
And when you played years, teams four through ten, especially on the road, those are still resume-building wins. Yeah. The problem now is those are not resume-building wins. You only can build your resume with three wins, Florida State, Louisville, and Duke. Outside of that, there's just a ton of pockets. And it's hard to go on the road and still beat Notre Dame and still beat BC and still beat Clemson and still beat Wake, the teams you're supposed to beat mathematically if you want to find your way on the right side of the bubble. There just aren't that many opportunities compared to years past, which is crazy. So I think Virginia is going to find a way to get it. If anybody get it done, I think they, they could play their way into that situation just because of how they defend. And if Kihei Clark continues to play like he did against Florida State, and they already have one of the key wins, which is Florida State. I mean, most of those other teams I mentioned, don't, they don't have those wins, and I don't think they're going to get them. They have that one already on their resume, which is huge. Um, if Kihei Clark can play the way he did down the stretch and smart and make the right plays, Diakite and Walden Tensai shoot the ball the way they have shot it there in that game. If they can replicate that going forward, that's huge. We'll find a big telling sign will be tonight. Like, can they follow up that win they had against Florida State at home against Clemson? Again, a game you have to win. So we'll see how they do, but I think Virginia is the best bet for the conference to get that fourth team in if they get four in. He wore Pantone 290 for Columbia. He is analyzing Pantone 542. That's the North Carolina Tar Heels as they host Duke in a different shade of blue. Saturday, 6 o'clock on ESPN, the big game, of course, we'll be discussing all week. They're calling it Super Blue Saturday, so you can actually join a lot of folks from ESPN and the ACC Network, celebrate and watch the game at Top of the Hill, right there on Franklin Street on the corner in Chapel Hill. Live music, food, games, swag, and much more. Doors open at noon for the fun and festivities the big game again at 6 p.m on espn dallin thanks for the time on the david glenn show man i really enjoyed it anytime dj have a good one you got it lavelle moton of nc central more college hoops in about 15 minutes that allows for your phone calls in between you can chime in with a question or comment on national signing day in college football part two i did a deep dive on just how good our high school football is as that relates to why our college football teams in the Power Five especially don't win titles very often. College basketball offers Mike Krzyzewski unhappy with his Blue Devils even in victory. Duke 63, BC 55 last night. More of my thoughts on that with more of yours. NC State goes to Miami. The Wolfpack certainly is not dead yet. They actually looked great against the Hurricanes when they played them in Raleigh. Got to have the return trip to Carl Gables. Kevin Keats needs to get that team back on the winning track. Wake Forest is at Louisville tonight. Danny Manning has his own set of challenges, of course, as a guy who is looking like he'll finish with a losing record for the fifth time in his six seasons in Winston-Salem. UVA is right on the bubble and hosts Clemson tonight. Pitt and Notre Dame are more middleweights. They, may, they match up head-to-head this evening as well. Saturday, of course, it's Duke at Carolina. You have questions and comments on those things. The NBA trade deadline, including the Houston Rockets, as part of a huge trade. I mean, like huge numerically and otherwise. That league's trade deadline is tomorrow uh, about 3 o'clock, so a little more than 24 hours from now. We have some NFL and Super Bowl 54 leftovers, literally, and in the form of Cam Newton describing his future with the Carolina Panthers on the record as he made some visits on Radio Row. Pete Rose has a new argument for why he should be removed from baseball's ineligible list, which is keeping him out of the Hall of Fame. Mookie Betts, one of the best players in baseball, 
is being traded from the Red Sox to the Dodgers. The Carolina Hurricanes took some lumps last night at St. Louis. You can chime in with your question or comment on those topics as we move forward. Lavelle Moten of NC Central live in 15 minutes. Your calls and those headlines are next on the David Glenn Show. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene, and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Who we'll, we'll passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Lavelle Moten. Superstar coach, former superstar player at North Carolina Central University here in Durham, North Carolina. Raised in the projects of Raleigh. There was a park near his house that was so dangerous his mom would not let him go there. All these decades later, that park is now named after Lavelle Moton. He was one of the guys who got out. He has the most fascinating Rolodex is the old school phrase. Smartphone contacts list may be the updated phrase. He knows LeBron well, even has offered a scholarship to young Bronny, who's only like a freshman in high school at this point. He wants to get him to NC Central as one of the top high school prospects. Of course, that is an early age. Recently profiled at ESPN and TheUndefeated.com. Lavelle Moten live a little bit later this hour. Appreciate Mac Brown of Carolina for dropping by. Dallin Cuff of the ACC Network. More college basketball with your phone calls in between. Charles in Chapel Hill has Pete Rose on his mind. I will also ask baseball guru Darren Vaught, the producer of this program, his thoughts about a big trade. We're all monitoring the NHL trade deadline as Canes fans. We're all monitoring the NBA trade deadline because the Houston Rockets, with James Harden, with Russell Westbrook in place, of course, for the first time this year together, they didn't like their chemistry. They're actually experimenting with, seriously, in Houston, one of the smallest lineups in, like, my lifetime. The Rockets played a game essentially without anything even remotely close to either a center traditionally or a power forward recently. And somebody looked it up and just said, like, when's the last time the NBA, an NBA team put five dudes out there, none of whom was over, like, 6'7"? And it was, like, before I was born. I mean, that's part of the Rockets' experiment. As most believe, they're not quite up there with the Lakers and the Clippers and the Bucks and maybe others, but they're in that top five or so with Harden and Westbrook leading the way. So they ship out. Young center, Clint Capella. I won't tell you all the details because there's four teams involved and lots of players involved. Numerically, it's actually one of the biggest trades just because of the people and complications involved. Biggest by that definition in like 20 years. So you can look up the details on your own. But as we're monitoring these NHL and NBA annual trade deadlines, boom, here comes a big baseball trade where Pete Rose, of course, is in the headlines because he wants in the Hall of Fame and he wants to be removed from the baseball ineligible list. Charles will get in on that here shortly. Mookie Betts is the second best non-pitcher at worst behind Mike Trout in Major League Baseball. He is in his prime. He was the MVP year before last. He helped the Boston Red Sox win the World Series while being that MVP year before last. He's 27 years old. He is scheduled to make a great amount of money. It's $25 million plus this coming season. And yes, Boston probably was fearful. Noted Red Sox fan Darren Vaught can jump in on this when he wants. 
after this final year at $27 million, which I imagine everybody would find digestible for a former MVP at 27 years old, I think they're worried, well, is he going to have to, is he going to be demanding $400 million plus, And does that fit into our view of the salary cap and all that stuff? It's still hard to picture why you need to trade a 27-year-old in his prime who's been an MVP. Best I know, you don't have any red flags about his work habits or off-the-field type stuff. And you're shipping him to the hated L.A. Dodgers. I mean, Dodgers fans are part of a proud franchise that, when I was growing up, were one of the best franchises. And now here they are decades later wondering if they're ever going to get another World Series title again. With this Mookie Betts trade from the Red Sox to the Dodgers, the Dodgers' dream is closer to reality. Now, I know they've been knocking on the door several times lately, and they keep falling short. I was around in a young guy the last time they won it. What was it, 1988 or something like that? It's been forever. They used to be always in the mix. They're still in the mix, but they can't break through. Getting Mookie changes that dynamic quite a bit, but losing Mookie changes that dynamic. Darren, is it really about, A, fear of his price tag after this coming year, and B, I do see why, if you're over the luxury tax, and as much as I respect David Price, also involved in this deal, also going to the Dodgers, like $96 million over the next three years is harder to digest for me than just paying Mookie Betts what, he's, what he right. deserves. Yeah, yeah. So is, is that what's going on here? Do you have like Baseball America superstar prospects coming back to you? What's going on? So largely, this can be categorized as a salary dump. They wanted to avoid the big Betts contract, which would inevitably push them over the luxury tax. The price deal again, like you said, is large, and he, unlike Mookie, is on the tail end, if not past his prime, though still productive. So that one makes sense. If you're trying to lose lose salary, that one absolutely makes sense. And is the fear if you go – he's signed for $27 Is the fear that if you go and Mookie plays for the Red Sox this coming season, you might get nothing for him because you're afraid of his price tag? Is that the bottom line? There are compensation-related rules in Major League Baseball that if he were to walk as a free agent after the final deal on his contract, you would get draft picks, but nothing nothing close to the value that Mookie Betts provides, although I would argue they they came pretty – Came up pretty short with what they got in the trade as well. They got Alex Verdugo is an outfielder, young guy. He just finished his age 23 season for the Dodgers and is a pretty good player. But to put it in perspective, you might not know who Alex Verdugo is. And after the age 23 season of Mookie Betts, he finished second in the MVP voting. So not the same player at all. And he missed part of last year, Verdugo, right? Correct. All right, so he was a little further off of my radar. And young, dominating prospects? No, I mean, they got a, a good young relief pitcher from the Twins because it was a three-way Three deal. Three-team trade, right? Three-team trade. So they got Verdugo was the only player they got from the Dodgers and a young pitcher from the Twins who throws pretty hard but isn't anything spectacular. He's intriguing, but not Mookie Betts. Nothing what, was Nothing was going to match up for what you gave up. As a baseball fan? What happened today with Mookie Betts leaving the Red Sox for the Dodgers? Again, it's not official yet, pending medical reviews and all that usual stuff. It's bigger than anything I've seen in the NBA, including the Rockets trade. It's bigger than anything I've seen in the NHL as they're getting closer to their deadline. I just don't see in their prime superstars moved this way very often. The Dodgers, by the way, in Vegas 
went from a seven to one favorite to win next year's World Series to four to one, and the Red Sox dropped from twenty to one to twenty-five to one. So, you know, I don't know if you're the only Red Sox fan out there feeling this way, but it's a tough day in that neighborhood. Lavelle Moton, NC Central superstar, media darling, head coach, former star player, from the projects of Raleigh to a guy who knows everybody you could possibly know in the sports and entertainment world. He just recently had a park named after him in the capital city of Raleigh, and he might just have another NC Central team that he's taken to this year's NCAA basketball tournament. Coach Moten joins us live next on the David Glenn Show. He's the UVA head basketball coach, Tony Bennett. You always believed in us. I guess you were the wind beneath our wings. There you go. How's that? <laughs> Do we but, have uh, background music that's for that? Right. That's right. That's Bette Midler. There we go. You are the wind beneath my wings. Keep it right here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Our next guest, I have thought about a lot lately. When Kobe Bryant passed away, I wanted to pick up the phone and ask for guidance and wisdom from a guy that I have observed as a basketball player. I respect for his roots as a guy who grew up in the projects of Boston and Raleigh, North Carolina. Now has a park named after him, the same park he was not allowed to go to as a young man. His mom and grandmom wouldn't let him go near that place, and now it's named a park in his honor. We'll ask him about Kobe. His team just put up a big win over the MEAC leading Norfolk State squad, comeback fashion. He was profiled with his program earlier today by Myron Medcalf at ESPN. He was profiled at TheUndefeated.com, I think it was last week. And tonight at 9 o'clock, the North Carolina Central University Sports Network will present Family a documentary on the NC Central men's basketball program, episode one this evening, 9 o'clock. You can find it on YouTube under the page NCCU Eagles or visit their official Facebook page. That's a long intro, Coach Moten, but welcome back, man. Thanks for waiting. You got a lot cooking right now behind beyond trying to make an NCAA tournament. I didn't know I had all that going on in my life, man. That was a low. Man, thank you for having me, man. You're the best. It's great to have you. I don't even want to – you pick me up every time we talk. No matter what it is about, I just feel better after talking with you. But I have a sad question for you. Uh, you are a man of wisdom. You are a man of family. I see you interact with your children. I know you know so many superstars in the sports and entertainment world. What can you share just about your thoughts as a contemporary of sorts of Kobe Bryant, who died, you know, as the father of four at the age of 41, as his life is blossoming post-basketball? Man, you came up the ranks somewhat in a somewhat yeah. similar time. To what degree did yeah. you know him personally, and, and what are your thoughts yeah. about him personally and professionally? You know, the, the craziest thing is, um, and I, I think I was talking about this the other day, is it, it seems like during that time when we were all coming up, it was the golden era of everything, whether it was uh, musically or basketball-wise or just <clears throat> within our culture and society. You know, everything was six degrees of separation. Yeah. Um, my draft class was 1996, and when he elected to um, to to forego high school and, and enter the draft, he became a, a part of my draft class. And I was always keeping my eye on him because back then, 
high school kids and even a lot of college guys weren't really leaving early. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, this, despite what it was, people were really. Grant Hill stayed in the school four years. Like, Tim Duncan stayed in the school four years. Yeah. People got to understand stuff like that. So, I'm coming out and I'm hoping to get drafted myself and Ben Wallace, you know, coming out of uh, the CIAA at that time. And we're keeping our eye on these young guys to see when and if they're going to declare for the draft. Because if they declare for the draft, then obviously that's going to push us back. Um, I met Kobe. I want to say it was 95, 96, um, 95, 96, Jerry Stackhouse, first year in Philadelphia. And we all went up to uh, Philadelphia for the summer and supported uh, Jerry and just played pickup. It was, you know, heavy pickup games. And um, at the time, I don't know if you guys remember a guy by the name of World Be Free. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, World, yeah. World, Be, World Be Free was, uh, he, was he, he had a role with the 76ers. And we were playing pickup, and Kobe would come over. And we I didn't know Kobe at this time. And the first time I saw him play, I said, I said, where does he play? I said, is, does he play overseas? What what country does he play in? <laughs> I thought he was an overseas basketball player. And World said, no, that's Bean Son. That's Jelly Bean Son. Yes. And I said, okay. I, I said, but what country he playing? He said, well, he, he's in, he's in the, like eleventh uh, grade, twelfth grade. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. So they kind of bullied Kobe. Um, they wouldn't let him play, you know, because it was a bunch of NBA guys playing, and you know, a bunch of rookies, a bunch of overseas guys. So they wouldn't really let him get on the court. And you could see that he was so talented once he got out there. He just didn't have the man strength, right? So it was just like a little boy that was talented that. Size-wise, he could play, but strength-wise, he just wasn't ready just yet. But he always said, like, I'm going to make y'all remember me one day. And the one thing I really learned from and at that time, Rashid connected him with Brandy to go to the prime. Like, all of this is around that time, um, you know, during that 96 era. But the one thing I've, I've always remembered about Kobe is that he just had an ability to, and it's really difficult in this world, to be himself. He didn't care about being liked. He cared more about being respected. Because if you remember, when he first came in the league, a lot of people didn't like him, yeah. to be completely honest. You follow what I'm saying? And if for whatever reason, it was petty, whatever it was, it was jealousy, whatever it was, but he was immersed in the game of basketball. He showed you so much of a side of him that he didn't show early on. As a basketball player, he was extremely isolated, shut down. He didn't let you in his circle. But afterwards, I just thought what he was doing, only not only for the game, but just for people in general in business and, and all of those things, man, was, was phenomenal. I love how you talk about, I believe on your own Twitter page, you refer to yourself as Hattie Mac's baby boy, even to this day. You're a child yeah. of God. Yeah. You're also Hattie Mac's baby boy. You're also a mentor and coach yeah, to is. all these young men. You're a lot of things, but one of them's Hattie Mac's baby boy. You're also... In all your trips to the NCAA tournament, sometimes you've had your children either in the locker room and that's on video or up at the podium and, you know, the whole world falls in love with you or your wife or your kids or whatever. As a family man, then and now, you know, what? I know you're a person who cherishes every day as a man of faith, so maybe you didn't even need that reminder, but uh, are your kids old enough that you spoke to them about Kobe's death and, and just the fragile nature of things? Yeah, we we spoke about it, and you know it was real. It was it was really weird. The first day of school, my my son started first grade this year, okay. and my daughter started uh, fifth. 
the first day of school, my son, they, they, he had to do a project, a, a personalized project about his future endeavors, his career, his hobbies, and all of these things. And he did a collage of Kobe. And um, I had actually forgotten about it. But then we had a parent-teacher conference, and he pulled out his notebook, and it was the collage of Kobe mm. in there. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So it was a teachable lesson um, to my kids because when you're kids, and I, I, my daughter's the age now that I lost my grandmother, and it was the most devastating mm. uh, thing ever because at that age, you, you just just think life is infamous. Like right. you don't think it, it ever ends, you know, to be honest. And so I've lived enough life in all honesty to – not need any subtle reminders about the fragilities of life. You know, I lost so many friends, and I just come from that environment where, you know, you're here today and going tomorrow, and you can't take it for granted. I think the one thing that rocked the world with Kobe was that, if we're being completely honest, he was the single person that we all thought was invincible in this world. Yeah. Like, we really thought Kobe would be 110 years old, right. handing out championship trophies like Bill Russell. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Doing mama clinics across the country. Totally. And, and so on and so forth. But when we heard that, I was in I was in the gym. When, we, when I heard the devastating news, I was in the gym watching my son play a basketball game. And the guy beside me said, man, have you heard that Kobe passed? And I was like, oh, that's fake news, bro, Like, right. because I really didn't get service in there. He said, no, they saying like he passed in a helicopter crash. And my heart immediately dropped because mm-hmm. I knew how he traveled. I knew he always traveled in a helicopter. I was like, oh, my goodness. And when I got out, unfortunately, it was true. But I just think his death has made us question our own mortality, right? So now I hold my kids even closer. Um, <laughs> like my son leads the team onto the court. Yeah. Um, you know, for for our warm-ups. You know, my daughter, she does the video because I now it's just all about leaving the legacy because at the end of the day, no one cares about MEAC championships and how many points you scored and so on and so forth. It's the time that you spent um, with your kids and the legacy that you left uh, to inspire other people. And that's the beautiful thing about Kobe. Whenever his services come up, no one's going to talk about his NBA championship rings. No one's going to talk about the 81 points a game and so on and so forth. They're going to talk about how he impacted people on every corner of this earth. His name is Lavelle Moten. He spends some quality time with us from time to time. Follow him on Twitter, at Lavelle Moten. Catch his Eagles in action, too. They are challenging for another MEAC title. Look at ESPN.com if you get a chance today as well. Myron Medcalf was basically embedded as a writer with the Eagles. Of course, you know, with the commitment of Coach Moten to sort of cooperate along the way. Great photos. He stuck with you guys for like a week. It's called NC Central and College Basketball's Long Unseen Road. It involves a lot about the realities of college hoops, in this case at an HBCU, North Carolina Central University, here in our backyard. You used the word legacy there involving Kobe. I mean, I'm going to remember you forever for like a hundred different reasons, but you also now have your own park named after you. Lavelle Moton Park is the same place that what? Mom and grandmom would not let you go because bad stuff was happening there in Southeast Raleigh. I mean, what does that mean to you? You talk about what is meaningful, what is less meaningful, you know, championships matter. But you want to talk about immortality, right. Coach. I mean, you know, even after you're gone, and I hope that's a 1,000 years from now, you know, Lavelle Moton right. Park's going to be a part of the, the Raleigh part that you grew up in. Man, it's, it's, 
you know, I, I rode, they put the sign up and I rode by and I got goosebumps because yeah. I go back at least two, three times a month just to keep a chip on my shoulder. You know, just when I go back, it, it just reminds me of, you know, my upbringing and, you know, regardless of where you, where you are now that, you know, this is, this is your roots. And it just, again, it just gives me a chip. But the one thing I, I told my son, um, and I was, he's learned the word legacy again. He's in first grade, yeah. first grade. So one of his vocabulary words was legacy. And he asked me, he said, daddy, what is, what is legacy? I was helping him with his homework. So we rode to the park. Right. And I said, this is one of my teachable moments for you. And I said, listen, man, when I was in elementary, um, I hated going to class for the first couple of days. He said, why? And I said, because the teacher could never pronounce my name, hmm. right? Like she couldn't say Lavelle and she couldn't say Moten. <laughs> she couldn't spell it right. She couldn't say it right. Oh. She couldn't repeat it. So every time I had to introduce myself to people, my mother and my grandmother always made me say my name, spell it, and repeat it. And the crazy thing is, she makes my son do the same thing. Mm. So she say, hey, I'm Lavelle Moton, L-E-V-E-L-E-M-O-T-O-N. Like, we always had to do that our entire life. And I said, so now you have this park, and that's all I ever fought for was my name because my, my, my father never left me a name. He left when I was four years old, right. and he left me because his father left him. Mm. And his father left him because his father left him. So I wanted to not only break the generational curse, but just establish a name that meant something and that could be revered so my child – and my daughter could have a head start in this world of respect and reverence, just knowing that their name is highly respected. So that was the biggest thing for me, you know, just having a park cement a legacy that I've, that I've always dreamed of. And it was simple. My dream was simple, just establish a last name where people would always remember it. So my son got out the car and uh, sat on the sign and took a picture. Cool. He said, Daddy, look, that's my name. I said, hold on now. That's not your name. That's you're, you're junior. I'm senior. That's my name. <laughs> you know, hopefully <laughs> you can go out here in this world and you earn something, and one day you're going to have kids, and your job is to secure a legacy and leave something for them. And so he, he got the purpose of legacy, and that's how I defined the word from him, which just so happened to be one of his vocabulary words for the week. Great stuff. Lavelle Moton is joining us. That is L-E-V-E-L-L-E-M-O-T-O-N on Twitter. There's a capital V in there, too, if you want to get it exactly right. Absolutely. All right, one thing on basketball, you always play the tough schedule. Uh, right. Myron does a great job of chronicling, you know, just the, the tricky nature of road trips and buses and, you know, things yeah. are not quite as fancy for you guys as there are for, for others, but also just some human elements. I thought that was fantastic. But what about the basketball combined with the human? You you can lose faith when you take a beating or you have a losing record when you enter conference play. And somehow, someway, right. you guys have not lost faith. And, Coach, I was not there on Monday night, but you beat Norfolk State, which had been leading the MEAC. C.J. Kaiser ties his career high in points. Devin Palmer has a career high in points. Uh, and, and I forget if I'm pronouncing all these right, but Jabri Blunt is probably the MEAC player of the year. Uh, you had Superman, I think, dressed up in the stands. The, the fans got into your comeback victory. You were down double digits in the second half. That's a lot of negativity, man, other than Superman. Yeah, man. And you won anyway. Yeah. What's all going into this sort of uh, great basketball story as you chase another March Madness bid? Well, the thing is, our, our program is not one of the blue bloods, like, you know, such as Carolina or Duke. So, you know, it, when Zion was absent, 
you know, everyone knew it. Um, yeah. When uh, Cole Anthony was absent with Carolina, like everyone knew how it affected. Like, so my best play is out, but it don't seem like no one actually cares, yeah. <laughs> right? If right? No one cares about our problems. If, if anything, they're, they're happy that we have them. So my leading scorer has been out for two months, right? And so it affected us, man, because we needed all 16 of those points, right, at yeah. the game. And so we thought he was coming back, and we were hoping, and, you know, we had one eye looking back over our shoulders, and then we just like, look, if he gets healthy, he gets healthy. But if not, guys, this is what we got to do, and you guys got to rise to the occasion. So it's been a transition and a difficult one, to, to say the least. And we just haven't been healthy. We've been bogged down with injuries. And I haven't coached my team. We haven't practiced as a team yet, so we're trying to figure it out and, and – you know, and do it trial by error. And we ran into a tough Norfolk State team, and we were down, I think, 15 in the second half. And I told our guys, it was on national television, and I said, listen, man, talking about legacy, I said, look, let's let's just do this because there's nothing to draw on this board because y'all not executing anything I'm drawing on here anyway. <laughs> said, right. So let's just make sure, being as though this is a national televised game, that 35 years from now, um, when you have kids, and they go into the catalog and see you playing, they can say their daddy had a ton of heart. Yeah. And that was my timeout at the 12-minute mark when we were down 15. Wow. And I said, it's going to be a slow, steady process, but, you know, let's let's just just fight and let's just grind and get back into it. And now we'll put some game pressure on them. And, you know, hats off to those guys. They deserve all the credit, Jabri Blunt, C.J. Kaiser, Jordan Perkins. Um, they fought, man. And I, I've given them two days off. I've never done that in my life. Oh. But it was so emotionally and physically draining and taxing that, you know, they needed it. And our crowd was incredible, man. So, you know, it was huge. It was huge. There is a great article at theundefeated.com. We're going to let you now go now, Coach, because we're, we're probably both out of time. But I encourage folks to check that out. Coach Moten is not allowed to talk about specific recruits for obvious reasons, NCAA rules. But Central has offered LeBron James's son a scholarship, and there's a fascinating story about, like, the what-if aspect. If somebody like Coach Lavelle Moten could get a couple of prep stars, maybe including LeBron's son, to sign with an HBCU like NC Central and, man, maybe shock the world. Who knows, like Texas Western did in a different context a long time ago. Uh, Coach, uh, you're an inspiration, man. You just, uh, you're just you always on my mind for best, basketball man. reasons, but even more than that. So thanks for joining us. Congratulations on all the success. And, of course, thanks for sharing your wisdom with us always here on the David Glenn Show. DG, you're the best, man. You know how I feel about you, man, and, and what you've done not only for – locally the triangle just the state of north carolina man the humility and integrity and the respect that you garner from everyone man everyone loves you man and that's not by accident so thank you for for the, all your love and support right back yeah. at you we'll be knocking on his door again as the eagles chase another miac title and another ncaa tournament bid for the last six for coach lavelle moton one of the greatest players in central history of course a phenomenal high school superstar here in raleigh long long ago now what used to be lake Street, Lane Street Mini Park in Southeast Raleigh is now Lavelle Moton Park. Man, that is just so cool. We're back after this on the David Glenn Show. I made a reference to Mike Krzyzewski of Duke and his GOAT status. And I kid you not, I got angry emails. If I really wanted to insult somebody, I would include some kind of sentence about being in the leaping prairie chewing on grass. This is the David Glenn Show. 
Cam Newton has spoken about his future with the Carolina Panthers. Some of you won in on college hoops, Duke State, Carolina Wake, and otherwise. It is National Signing Day in college football. The Canes took some lumps last night at St. Louis. You can be next at 1-800-849-2761. Cam Newton, in his own words, too. Dean in Wilmington, you're up on the David Glenn Show. The NCAA book on violations is so sick Superman has trouble carrying. This is true. However, it's not buried into the small print in the back that you're not allowed to drive luxury cars that aren't yours. Okay? (laughs) Keep it here on the David Glenn Show.